in case you don't know, my name is Ian. I'm a family life pastor here at Epicenter Church. Pastor Mark was in the office this week, and towards the end of the week, he uh, left again with his family for the last leg of his very well-deserved vacation. So we're going to continue this morning in our series, Summer Remix. This will be week four. Uh, as, as you may know by now, we've been kind of uh, revisiting, repackaging, and remixing sermons and series uh, from the past in different ways. And this week, I get the awesome privilege to share with you a remixed sermon uh, that I preached a couple years ago as part of a series we did called Stories. And so we're going to actually kick this thing off by looking at the first of several passages that we'll explore this morning. We'll spend a lot of time in several different scriptures, but just kind of bear with me because it actually, it really is one interconnected, an interconnected narrative across uh, several chapters, and we won't be reading three entire chapters, don't worry. But we'll start in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 22. Amen. And it says this in the New Living Translation, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone, but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him or followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed the food to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. You can be seated if you're not already. And again, this is one of several different passages we'll be hanging out in this morning, all of which connect together. And I believe that God wants to use these passages to help each of us learn or relearn an incredibly important principle about following Jesus. But first, I need to tell you about T-Ball. So this, coming up here in a second, is a picture of the West Fayetteville Little League Tigers. Think they're cute, try coaching them. Anyways, <clears throat> these guys are a tremendous group of tiny athletes who are learning to play baseball, and believe it or not, they actually are getting better every year. Um, there was a lot of room for improvement in the beginning, though. So, I recently finished my third season as their head coach. The primary duties of this position um, include teaching players how to swing a bat teaching players how to throw a baseball, and teaching players how to not pick their nose during the game. Other responsibilities include things like drawing circles in the dirt with my shoe so that they know where to stand when we're playing in the field, reminding our players that they're allowed to move out of the circle when the ball is rolling towards them, um, you know, telling them to watch the ball, telling them to stop hitting one another, telling them to stop playing in the dirt, and of course, telling them to stop picking their nose. And it's, it's an awesome experience. It really is. I, I love it. Um, 
you know, my son is on the team. He's the guy in the middle there causing all the trouble, probably. But it's crazy how much these little tigers lack two skills that are fundamental in both baseball and in life, focus and endurance. Whether these guys are batting or fielding, there's always something far more interesting to look at than the baseball. Maybe it's a bug, maybe it's a butterfly, maybe it's a booger. There's always seems to be something that they're focused on other than what they should be. My fellow coaches and I are always reminding them of how dangerous it is to shift their focus away from the ball because we don't want them to get hit in the head, but they still just don't get it. Everything around them is more interesting than what they should be paying attention to. And then you know, no matter how excited they are at the beginning or how excited they are to be at the ballpark, as soon as the game starts, inevitably, about halfway through the first inning, they start asking if it's almost over. The primary reason for most of them is that they want to eat their snack. They're like, I came here, you came here to coach baseball, I came here to get a snack, so when's this baseball stuff over so I can get to the good part? You know, but other things, you know, can distract them from their objective as well. Things like uh, having to go to the bathroom or waving to their grandma in the middle of a game or wiping off the booger they just picked. That's my last booger joke, probably. But whatever the motivator, the combination of a lack of focus and limited perseverance is the biggest inhibitor to their collective growth as players and as a team. Baseball is one of the things that they're paying attention to, but it's usually not the main thing. They're easily distracted by countless other people and things and sounds and noises and boogers. I really am done now. The thing is, I know a lot of us who approach our faith in Jesus the way these Tigers approach playing baseball. See, I've been one of those people on multiple occasions where we wake up every day intending to put our faith in him, and yet we are quickly distracted by the things that life throws our way. The things that distract us aren't quite as harmless as the bugs and butterflies that my tigers are dealing with. We tend to be distracted by struggles or difficulties that feel overwhelming, far too difficult to overcome. We often allow the challenges of life to take our focus off of our faith in Jesus, and instead we begin to focus on the size of our problems, the severity of our pain, or the shame of our past. For others, it's not problems at all that steal our focus, but the desire for success, and while there's nothing inherently wrong in striving to be successful, it's it can become dangerous if we allow that de desire for success to distract us from our faith and the purpose for which we were created. For others, it's just the stress of daily life, the stress of being a parent, the stress of being a teacher or, or a police officer or just a person can wash over us and cause our, our focus to be shifted from our faith to the many other things that try to steal it. Or maybe it feels like following Jesus is simply too hard or that God is taking too long to show up in our lives. We've been praying for a miracle for a long time and it doesn't seem to be anywhere closer than it was when we started. We, just like the tigers, we want to skip to the good part. And all of this waiting and learning and practicing our faith is taking too long and proving too difficult. Just like my little tigers, many of us lack focus and endurance 
when it comes to our faith. But having the kind of focused, long-lasting faith that's required to fulfill our purpose doesn't mean that we won't have doubts. It doesn't mean that we won't have worries or fears or difficulties. It simply means that our faith will endure through all of these question marks because we know that we serve a God who is bigger than anything life could ever throw our way. And that is why I wanted to start our time together this morning by reading those verses in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to kind of go back through them now for just a few moments. As verse 13 tells us that as soon as Jesus stepped out of the boat, a huge crowd surrounded him. He, he, he had compassion on them and he began to miraculously heal the sick among them. And as it was getting late in the afternoon, the disciples started tapping their watches to let Jesus know that the service was going too long and he needed to wrap it up so everyone could go and get some lunch for themselves. Like, Come on, Pastor, let's go and wrap it up, buddy. It's time to go. These people are hungry. And Jesus looks at them and says, that isn't necessary. You feed them. And when Jesus challenges the disciples to meet the needs of the people around them, to be fair, it is a tremendous challenge. Many theologians estimate that it's between 15 and 20,000 people in this crowd. But when he gives them this challenge, their minds do not go to the miracles that they have just witnessed Jesus perform. They don't think back to the time they watched him heal a paralyzed man in Matthew chapter 9, or they don't remember the way he cured someone from leprosy in Matthew chapter 8, or they don't think about any of the other miracles that they have witnessed Jesus do. Instead, their focus shifts directly to the impossibility of the task at hand. And they say to Jesus, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, to their credit, they don't say it can't be done or you must be crazy, but they instantly focus on the size of their problem and their own inability to find a solution. So Jesus responds in verse 18 by saying, bring them here. But when I read this response from Jesus, I imagine him saying it with the same kind of mixture of disappointment, frustration, and like, oh, well, bless your heart that I have what I tell my son for the 17th time that day that we don't jump on the furniture with our shoes on. Like, y'all still don't get this? If you've been a parent or had a parent, you know kind of this, you know the sigh, right, that parents have that, that you look at you like, oh. And in that, that one little sound, it communicates so much. What we're really saying is, okay, I guess you somehow still don't get it, even though I've told you 100,000 times, and now I'm going to have to do it for you again. But you really need to learn this, and we, we're going we're gonna to have to have a talk about this. you got to get this together. But you know what? I really do love you, but you just frustrate me so much sometimes, and I can't believe I signed up for this. What were we talking about? Y'all can communicate all that in that one little sound. But I, I just kind of imagine... That that's how Jesus feels in this moment. But in spite of that, he's willing to meet the disciples halfway. And when, while they might not have had the faith to put their trust in him initially, they do have the faith to answer his call. And he blesses what they do have and sends the disciples out to feed the fifteen to 20,000 people who are there in the crowd, choosing to give them an active role in the miracle 
in spite of their initially misplaced focus. And when everyone is eaten, they collect what's left over, and there's 12 baskets of leftovers. And I love, though, that in this miracle, Jesus, despite having the power and ability to just snap his fingers Thanos-style and have everybody have a meal sitting on their laps instantly, he chooses instead to have his disciples deliver the meal to each person in attendance. And I imagine the disciples kind of starting out, mumbling to themselves, just like, this is, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. Jesus wants us to feed 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Does this guy know what he's doing? Even if we only give everybody like three crumbs, we're still only going to feed about 200 people. And then we're going to have a riot in this place. Like the very first hop in the park when we thought we were going to have 3,000 people. Instead, we had 13,000 people and this angry crowd where we ran out of eggs. And this angry crowd almost trampled Pastor Ian and he almost started crying. True story, by the way. But I just kind of imagine that that's what they're thinking. Like, what? This is ridiculous. But then I I like to imagine their mindset shifting as they start handing out the food. And they keep handing out the food. And they keep handing out the food. And they keep handing out the food. And finally, I I imagine them being like, holy smokes, this is working. Like, maybe this guy really does have a plan. Maybe this is actually going to work. This is amazing. How is he doing this? And then uh, as they keep going, I imagine them thinking to themselves, you know what? I probably should have known all along. I did just spend the entire day watching him miraculously heal sick people. Like, I should have I figured this out. And then I kind of imagine them kind of across the field as they're spread out handing out all these meals, looking at each other, these nervous slash excited glances like, dude, are you... Are you seeing this? Is this actually happening? Like, what is going on, bro? And so they witnessed firsthand how awesome God was because every person to get food should have been the last person. Based on the supply that they had in the beginning, they should have run out immediately. And every person they served should have been the last person to get food. But instead, they had 12 baskets left over. But imagine with me for a minute how long it must have taken for 12 dudes to serve 20,000 fish sandwiches. I'm sure by the end, as, as in awe as they were, they were probably wishing that Jesus had just instantly delivered the food freaky fast like Jimmy John's. They're like, what's, what in the world, man? Despite their initial lack of focus on their faith, We do have to give them credit because they kept on handing out that bread and those fish. They kept believing that God's power was bigger than their problem, even though the risk of being attacked by a hungry dude if they ran out was very real. And sometimes, God will take us the long way to our miracle because he wants us to experience firsthand the significance of his power. See, how many, how many times have we found ourselves in a situation that seemed impossible and after stubbornly trying to figure it out on our own for way too long, we finally pray and ask for help and then we expect an instant miracle from God. But instead of snapping his fingers and immediately solving our problems, God works in us and through us over the course of days or weeks or sometimes even years, causing us at times to wonder if he even knows what he's doing until eventually we look back to see that he had been perfectly orchestrating things all along, teaching us the value of a focused faith that endures our circumstances. See, it's easier 
to listen to the stories about somebody else's miracle than it is to live through our own. It's, it's easy or, or exciting, if you will, to, to come to church. It, even last week, we had Teen Challenge here, and it was inspiring. And I'm not trying to um, downplay anything that God is doing in any of their lives because it is incredible. These almost 40 men who are struggling with addiction, and we were here, and it, it, it's inspiring and exciting and amazing to hear the stories that, that of what God is doing in their lives, and we can come, and we can clap, and we can say, hallelujah, this is amazing, thank you, Jesus, and it's, it's awesome to listen to the stories of what God is doing, but when we have to live through God trying to do something in our own lives, we don't just get the highlight reel, and so sometimes it can be frustrating, because we're like, what in the world, man, I heard I heard sister so-and-so tell about her story, and that took five minutes. I've been waiting five months. God, where are you at? But again, sometimes God takes us the long way to our miracle so that we can experience the significance of his power. It's easier to listen to the stories of God working in others than it is to live through God working in our lives because we've got to be there for the nitty-gritty. That's why it can feel so hard to have faith in the midst of the chronic struggles of life. And like the disciples saying, we have only five loaves and two fish, we so often get caught up in the, but we have only situations of life, and we lose sight of what God can do when we put our trust in him. We might say, my marriage is falling apart, but I have only so much more that I'm willing to put up with. I need financial breakthrough, but I have only $3.86 in my bank account. I want to be a great parent, but I have only 0% more patience for the foolishness of my child. I want to get involved in what my church is doing, but I have only so much time and energy. And we allow the constant mundane struggles of life to begin to feel huge and overwhelming, impossible to overcome because we're too focused on our own we have only and not enough on Jesus' call to bring them here. See, if you remember, the instant the disciples said, but we have only five loaves and two fish, Jesus didn't say, all right, we'll figure it out. He said, bring them here. And so no matter how much or how little you have, if you're willing to bring it and lay it at the feet of Jesus, he will do things in your life that you cannot take credit for. He will turn things around in a way that you will have no doubt that it was God working in and through your life. But you will have to live through the turnaround, experiencing it in small ways every day, constantly trusting that he knows what he's doing. And that will take a faith that lasts. So the disciples have witnessed Jesus do the impossible through them. They've stretched their faith and they've lived through a miracle. And then Jesus tells them to hop in a boat and head home while he goes into the hills to pray. But look what happens next, starting in Matthew 14, verse 24. 
It says, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves about three o'clock in the morning. Remember that about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. So Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yeah, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, he said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So I want you to remember that time, about three o'clock in the morning. And I think that Matthew tells us this because he wants us to understand that it was less than 12 hours after the disciples had finished cleaning up the fish sandwich feast. So less than half a day after experiencing this huge miracle, they're in trouble again. And in the midst of their trouble, their minds do not focus on the incredible miracle that they just witnessed 12 hours ago. They do not remind themselves, oh, it's going to be okay because we, we serve a God who's bigger than this storm. No, what, what they do is they freak out and think they see a ghost. And they're like, we're all going to die. But Jesus, ever the patient and compassionate person that he is, is like, guys, guys, chill out. It's just me. So Peter, in this moment, he has this epiphany, if you will. He's like, holy smokes, that is Jesus. Because if he can feed thousands of people with almost nothing, then why wouldn't he be able to walk on the water? And if he's able to walk on the water, then why wouldn't he be able to help me walk on the water? And so he's in an excitement. He's like, Jesus, dude, if that's you, tell me to come hang out with you. And Jesus is like, yeah, sure. Come on in, man. The water's fine. And Peter jumps over the side of the boat, and he legit starts walking on the water. Imagine how awesome that must have felt to let his faith in Jesus become his focus and do something that nobody other than Jesus has ever done. He's not just surfing the biggest wave in record. He's not sailing through a rough sea. He is straight up walking on the water because in that moment, his faith and trust in Jesus was so strong that he believed he could do the impossible. And so he did. And then boom, just like that, his focus shifted. He started looking at the wind and the waves and forgot all about what Jesus was capable of doing in his life. He straight up forgot all about what Jesus had literally been doing two seconds ago. He looked around and said to himself, wait, this shouldn't be happening. Look how big those waves are. Look how strong that wind is. What I'm doing right now is impossible. Oh, my word, I'm sinking. It's like in that moment, Peter rejoined the rest of the disciples back in their we-have-only mindset. The seas are raging, and we have only our own strength to right the ship. The wind is strong, and the waves are high, and I have only my own two feet to walk across this water. 
Peter gets a bad rap in this story, but honestly, he has more faith than anybody else in that boat. Because he was willing to take the big risk. He stepped out and walked on the water, but then he allowed the size of his struggle to overwhelm his faith in his Savior. But even in the midst of his failure, he has faith enough to believe that Jesus will rescue him. And he calls out, save me, Lord. And it says that Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. I believe this is for somebody in here this morning. No matter how far you feel like you've fallen or how much you feel like you've failed, you can rest assured this morning that Jesus will be there waiting to rescue the moment that you call on him. And so Jesus' response to this is, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? He doesn't say, you of no faith, why didn't you believe in me? He acknowledges that Peter had some faith, but it wasn't the right kind of faith to get things done. It got shifted to the side, lost in the shuffle. His faith fell out of focus. The Greek word Jesus uses to address Peter's little faith means trusting too little. And when he asks Peter, why did you doubt? He uses a word that literally means to waver. And so this tells me that the problem with Peter's faith wasn't that it wasn't strong enough, but rather that it didn't last long enough. He didn't have the kind of faith that was able to endure through the difficulties of life. Pastor Marth often explains this as the difference between starting faith and finishing faith. He says that it's one thing to believe that God can do something in our lives to put our and to put our trust in him. That's starting faith. We believe that God can do something. But it's quite another thing to keep believing that God will do something big in our lives when things don't seem to be going according to plan and, 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 and things are not happening the way that we wish they were. That's finishing faith. Faith that endures through difficulty and negative circumstances, and it requires both focus and endurance. So little faith is still faith, but it's not the right kind of faith to save us as Jesus did with, I'm sorry, it is enough faith to save us as Jesus did with Peter, but it won't last long enough for us to fully realize our purpose and to live out the destiny that we were created for. Little faith will save us, but it won't help us realize our purpose. For that, we must have faith that is not only strong, but that lasts long. We cannot allow the trials and difficulties of life to shift our focus to what we have, to shift our focus to what we have and away from who we have with us. We have to be willing to bring it all to Jesus and trust that he will see us through to the purpose we were created for. And I wish that I could tell you that that was what the disciples did, that they remembered everything that happened over the course of those 12 hours and that they developed a faith that was longer and stronger than ever before. But unfortunately, it didn't play out that way. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus was again surrounded by a huge crowd teaching them and healing their sick. 
We pick it up in verse 32, which says, Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? And Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? They replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. So again, Jesus tells the people to sit down. He blesses the food and hands it to the disciples to distribute it. Everyone eats as much as they wanted. And it says, afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Does that sound familiar, anybody? Not too long after they had witnessed Jesus feed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish, their response is almost the exact same when he tells them to feed 4,000 men plus women and children with seven loaves and a few fish. He is literally asking them to do less with more, and they reply by saying, where would we get enough food here in the wilderness? Instantly, their mind goes right back to this we have only mindset, forgetting all about the miracles they've already experienced and focusing again on the problem at hand instead of saying, oh yeah, Jesus already did this one time. He can probably do it again. They say, where would we get enough? They show us again the danger in focusing too much on what we can't do and not enough on what he can do. See, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, or maybe you, if you've even been around somebody who follows Jesus for any amount of time, then I believe that God has already revealed his power to you multiple times and in multiple ways, doing things in your life or the lives of those around you that you can't take credit for. We've almost all had those kind of experience where we know that that is God's hand at work in our lives because there's no other way to explain it. And yet there are still those of us in this room this morning who feel like the problem that we're facing this time is just too big, even though it's smaller than some of the problems that God has already delivered you from in your past. We've already forgotten the miracles that we've lived through. We've already forgotten the ways that God has moved in our lives and provided for us time and time again. And so now this problem feels like the problem that he can't overcome because we're allowing ourselves to focus on what's in front of us instead of who is with us. In times like these, our faith cannot just be strong. It has to last long. We get so focused on our flaws, our failures, and our shortcomings that we lose sight of how big and powerful and loving our God truly is. So many of us could have our lives completely changed if we would only stop saying, we only have this or we only have that, and instead say, I only have Jesus and that's all I'm ever going to need. We have to stop worrying about what we could possibly do about our problems and start trusting him to do something life-changing through us. 
The disciples are asking the wrong questions. Where would we find enough food here in the wilderness? You're not going to find enough food in the wilderness, but you're looking in the wrong direction because the provider of everything you ever need is standing right next to you. Long-lasting faith is a faith that remembers It's a faith that constantly says, if God did it before, he will do it again. It looks in the face of seemingly impossible odds and believes that we can overcome them, not because of what we have, but because of who we have with us. But way too often, we're as forgetful as the disciples were in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 5. It says this, later... After they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered that they had forgotten to bring any bread. Uh Uh-oh. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? This Word, you have so little faith. He uses the exact same Greek word that he used with Peter when he shifted his eyes to the wind and the waves and away from Jesus. He's telling his disciples in this moment that they still don't get it. They still don't trust him enough. Their focus is still on the wrong thing. They still don't have the kind of long-lasting faith that they need to fulfill the purpose they were called to. He continues in verse 9 saying, Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with the seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? He says to these disciples, guys, what is wrong with you? You were there. You watched me pull enough bread for 20,000 people out of nothing. You watched me um, pull enough bread for 14,000 people out of nothing. There are 13 of us in this boat. I think that I can handle it. Why don't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? And I think that's where some of us are today. We can't seem to understand that we're not talking about bread. We've lost sight of the bigness of God's love and power and have been blinded by the overwhelming weight of our current situation. See, we were created for so much more than constant worry and desperation. We were created for a purpose. We were created to have a faith that lasts. We were created to allow God to do things in and through us that spread so much further than where we stand. We were created to do big things for God. We're sitting here worried about bread. When Jesus told his disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, he was warning them against religious hypocrisy. Jesus 
often accused the, the Pharisees and Sadducees of going through the motions of faith, paying more attention to the rules and rituals of religion than to a relationship with God. Their focus was on worldly recognition more than eternal glory. But even as he's warning his disciples against these kinds of things, even as he's telling them, hey, make sure y'all are focused on the right kind of stuff, they find themselves forgetting the miracles they've already lived through and giving more of their focus to material, temporary things to the, than to their faith and to the object of it. Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? And here's the thing about the disciples. The stories we've read today make them look pretty foolish and pretty faithless. But we have the benefit of hindsight and of having days and weeks worth of events condensed into just three chapters. So as we're reading, it's easy for us to say, you big dummies, that just happened 50 verses ago. Why don't you remember? But if I'm being honest, I can recall countless moments in my own life where the situation seemed too big and too overwhelming, even though it wasn't anywhere near as big as things that God had already brought me through. And he had to kind of say to me, why can't you understand that we're not talking about bread? The thing is, it's easy to forget the things that God has done when it doesn't feel like he's doing anything right now. And that's why long-lasting, enduring faith is so important. You see, as small and as short as the disciples' faith may have been at times, to their credit, they never stopped believing. And eventually, they got their acts together. They endured persecution, imprisonment, torture. They spread the gospel across the entire world. They performed miracles on their own and preached God's word to crowds of thousands. They fulfilled their destiny and realized their purpose, not because they unlocked some sort of hidden power within themselves, but because they developed the kind of long-lasting faith that no longer focused on what they had, but rather on who they had with them. As the band comes back this morning, I want to ask you a question that applies to me just as much as it does anybody in this room. Why don't we understand that we're not talking about bread? Why do we allow the obstacles and challenges and trials of life to shift our focus away from who God is and what he wants to do in us? All it takes for us to change the world, when all it takes for us to realize the purpose and the destiny that we were created for is to take whatever we have and bring it to Jesus and let him do the rest. See, we just heard four different examples of the disciples who literally spent every day of their lives with Jesus for three years 
failing at their faith over and over and over and over again. And we've left out countless other examples. Sometimes their faith wasn't strong enough. Sometimes their faith didn't last long enough. But in the end, that didn't matter. What mattered is what they chose to put their faith, who they chose to put their faith in. And every time that they brought what they had and laid it at his feet, he did the rest. 